would ask you to turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. We've been in Hebrews chapter 11 several times before. This chapter was written to encourage us in our faith. The first few verses of chapter 12 start with the word, therefore, and then it tells us the purpose of all that has been said in chapter 11. It is so we might run our Christian race with endurance and so that we might look to Jesus and by considering him not grow weary or faint-hearted. That's what we see in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, as it reflects back on all that's been said in Hebrews chapter 11. Please read together with me the first six verses of this chapter. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Let me give you just a brief reminder of what we've seen in Hebrews chapter 11 in uh, earlier times. In verse 1. The writer of of Hebrews is focusing far more on the objective sense of faith than on the subjective sense of faith. In the new birth, God makes us spiritually alive. And he gives us faith that places a real foundation under our spiritual life. Because of this, there is real substance to the things that we hope for. There is something solid there. Our God-given faith is proof of unseen things and that they are real. This faith foundation is completely found in Christ and not in myself. He is the author and finisher of my faith. He is the great high priest who prays for me. He procured my faith in his redeeming and saving work. And that, and nothing about me, It's why my faith will last me through today and tomorrow and all the way to glory. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is my Savior and my Lord and my faithful high priest. In verse 2, we saw that God does not give witness or testimony or commendation or a report that the people of, of, of old were saved and that they belonged to him because they kept the law. He does not bear witness that they were righteous because they did good deeds. He does not commend them for their obedience. They were identified as God's people, 
and were marked as by him as being so for one reason and for only one reason. It was because they believed. In verse 3, this verse is not just saying that God created the world, although that is true enough. This verse is saying that God has arranged and put in order everything that exists in all the ages of time and eternity. He created the world, and He has arranged and ordered everything that we see unfolding in this world that He has made. Things don't just happen. Nothing is just random. They are what God is, has done and what God is doing in the world. And if you are a believer, your eyes have been opened to see that everything is ordered by the Word of God. In verse 4, we see the contrast between Abel, the believer, and Cain, the unbeliever. Abel sacrifices to God by faith and is accepted. Cain sacrifices by his work and is rejected. The fundamental principle that the just shall live by faith is established right here at the very beginning of the world. There is only one question that mattered at the dawn of human history, and there's only one question that matters for us here today, all these years and centuries and millennium later. It is the question, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, our text this morning is going to be verse 5, and our subject will be the faith of the man Enoch. Verse 5 says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. If you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 5, I would like to read just a few verses there. Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And then if you would, turn with me to the book of Jude, the very end of your Bible. The book of Jude, and let's read verses 14 and 15. It was also about these that Enoch... The seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, in these three passages that we've just read, we've read everything that the Word of God has to say about Enoch. He is actually mentioned two other times, 1 Chronicles 1-3 and Luke 3-37, where his name is listed in genealogies. In the first, the genealogy of the people of Israel. The second, the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Enoch, the seventh from Adam, the father of Methuselah. Now, many of us know, uh, just as a side note, the name Methuselah. Why do we know him? Because he was the what? The oldest man. He lived more years than any other person, 969 years. Now, there's some debate about exactly what the name Methuselah means. But many believe that it means his death shall bring judgment. And if we translate his name, it means his death will bring judgment. Do you realize that Methuselah died in the year of the great flood of Noah? And so, very prophetic, his name, Methuselah. Enoch is also the great-grandfather of Noah. And though Enoch is mentioned just these few times in the Bible, he is an interesting figure that has captured the imagination of many. Many legends and traditions have gathered around his name. He has been the subject of wild speculations and theories and predictions for the future and for the end of the world. If you go on the Internet, and I don't suggest you do this, and you type in Enoch, you'll see a lot of stuff. But hardly any of it will have anything to do with the Bible or the biblical record. Many things that have nothing at all to do with the testimony of Scripture have been connected to this man. Over the centuries, many Jewish teachers spoke of his piety. There are at least three books that bear the name Enoch. The best known of them is the Book of Enoch, which was written about 200 years before the birth of Christ. And the rest of it, it was actually finished about 100 years after uh, the time of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a second and third Enoch, which were written in the first century after Christ and the fifth century after Christ. These books have absolutely nothing to do with the man Enoch himself. You may not be aware of this, but Enoch has a significant place in the doctrine of the Mormon cult. Even Islam talks about this man, Enoch. All these things that I've just mentioned are of no help to us in, stu- in understanding the real historical Enoch and what the Scriptures uh, would have us learn from his life. And while the Bible does not tell us uh, very much about him, it tells us everything that we need to know. And it tells us a great deal that is helpful to our faith and to our life as the people of God. So please consider Enoch uh, this morning with me. Let me begin by giving you uh, some background. I think in order to understand Enoch, we need to know something of the background and the context of his life. The important statement about the man Enoch is found in Genesis 5.22 that we read, and it's stated again in in, uh, Genesis 5.24. It is the statement that Enoch walked with God. Saying that Enoch walked with God is not the same as saying that he went to church or that he did his devotions. It is not even the the same as saying that David Brainerd walked with God or that Robert Murray McShane walked with God or that uh, Martin Lord Jones walked with God. You know, it was said of him that he had much of God in him. When Genesis 5 says that Enoch walked with God, it is a profound statement. This statement comes in the context of the statement in Genesis 3.15 that this world 
and its history from beginning to end will be marked by a war between the seed of the woman, Christians, and the seed of the servant, the, ser- the serpent, unbelievers. It is a war that will only be brought to an end by the one seed who will crush Satan's head and deliver his people, the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has precisely this conflict, this war, this battle in mind. Centuries later when he says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Romans 16.20 And this is what Paul is talking about when he says in Ephesians 6.11 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It is this conflict that he is talking about. It takes no time for this conflict to come to full flower. Cain, the unbeliever, kills Abel, the believer. When Cain kills Abel, it is much more than just the first murder in history or the first great family conflict in the history of the world. It is the first attempt by Satan to destroy the people of God and to destroy the Christ. Cain is like his father, not like his father Adam, but his father the devil. Cain is a murderer and a liar. Jesus will say centuries later to his enemies, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. John 8.44 And when the Apostle John says in 1 John 3.12, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. He is talking about this conflict. Or in Jude 11, Jude speaks about the false teachers of his day, and he says, They walk in the way of Cain. And what we see as we move into Genesis chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 5 is the godly line of Seth, which takes up Abel's place. And we see the godless line of Cain. Cain becomes a father, Genesis four seventeen, and his son is named Enoch. Not our Enoch of Genesis 5 and Hebrews 11. This is Cain's Enoch. The name, Cain, the name Enoch means dedication. And when Cain builds a city, he dedicates it not to God, but to his son, and he names it Enoch. His descendants, the descendants of Cain, will be known for their progress and their technology and their culture. God certainly uses those outside of his spiritual people to bring about advancement in this world. But they were not only known for their development, they were known for their evil and for their violence. We spoke about Enoch being the seventh from Adam. In Genesis chapter 4, we come to the seventh from Adam in Cain's line, Lamech. He takes two wives. He murders without cause. He swears to take vengeance 77 times for any perceived wrong against him. He is the seed of of the serpent. 
this ungodly line will so dominate this fallen world that, that only five years after the death of Lamech, the godly people left in this world will be released to just eight people. And God will destroy the world in the flood. The flood happens just five years after this man, Lamech, dies. It is in this context of this spiritual battle that we come to the seventh from Adam in Seth's line. Our man, Enoch, of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. This Enoch is dedicated not to his own glory, but to the glory of the Lord. And in contrast to Lamech, who is an immoral and a violent and a ruthless man, Enoch walks with God. According to Jude 14 and 15 that we read just a moment ago, the contemporaries of Enoch, the people that he preached to, are in every way separated from God and from godliness. Enoch says of them there in as it's quoted in Jude, Enoch says of them that they are ungodly. All of their deeds were deeds of ungodliness, done in, quote, such an ungodly way. Ungodly things done in a hateful, evil way. And the words that they speak are ungodly words. They are, quote, against the Lord. In Genesis 6, 5, the assessment is made, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is Enoch's world. This is Enoch's community. This is Enoch's culture. This is the backdrop against which the scriptures tell us that Enoch walked with God, and he preached, he prophesied to the people that were around him. Now, I want us to consider just two questions this morning. What does it mean to walk with God? And why was Enoch taken by God without experiencing death? These two questions. So, first of all, what does it mean to walk with God? Well, the most obvious thing that our text in Hebrews says is that Enoch was a believer. So back in Hebrews chapter 11, in the text that we read earlier, you'll notice that, it, that verse 5 ends by saying, He was commended as having pleased God. And the very next words in verse 6 are, And without faith... It is impossible to please him. And so the conclusion, the obvious conclusion that we must draw is that Enoch was a man of faith. If it is impossible to please God without faith, and if Enoch pleased him, then he must have been, he had to be a man of faith. According to Genesis 5:22, he walked with God. He was close to God. He was near him. The next ver the words in our verse here in, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 are, whoever would draw near to God must believe. Or we could say it this way, whoever would walk with him, be near with him, must believe. We might ask, how did the description of Enoch change from walking with God in Genesis chapter 5 to pleasing God in Hebrews chapter 11? Well, it might be interesting to note that in the Septuagint, the translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek 
which was the common Old Testament scripture that was used in the day, in the day and time of our Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis 5.22 was not translated in their Greek Old Testament as walked, but it was translated by the words Enoch was well-pleasing to God. The translators of that Old Testament verse into Greek were believing that walking with God and being near to Him required that such a person be pleasing to God. And of course, when we think about those kinds of terms, who do we think about? I hope we think about our Lord Jesus Christ. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3.17, Mark 1.11, Luke 3.22. More than any other person, the Lord Jesus Christ was pleasing to God. And more than any other person, He walked with His God. It is interesting to note that this specific language, to walk with God, is only used to describe one other person, in the Old Testament. This language is used to describe Noah in Genesis 6-9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Let me draw your attention to two Old Testament scriptures. I just want to read them quickly for you. The first is Malachi 2, verses 5 and 6. Here Malachi is speaking of Levi in ideal terms of what a perfect priest would be like. And he says this, My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. That is life and peace. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. And no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. And he turned, he turned many from iniquity. And then in Micah 6, verses 6 through 8, we read this. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but you do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God." Now, taking all these scriptures together, what does it look like to walk with God? Well, in the first place, the most important thing, it is to believe in Christ. It is to have the fear of the Lord. It is to regard Him with awe and wonder and to worship Him. It means to have truth in your mouth and not things that are wrong. It is to be righteous in your conduct, to do justice to love kindness, to be humble. It sounds an awful lot like the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? It sounds like what every Christian person is called to be and to do. Walking implies prolonged fellowship, constant fellowship, God consciousness as we walk through our life every day, day by day, hour by hour. Walking with God implies obedience. To walk with God, we must walk on the same path and in the same direction 
that he is on. And that is what Enoch did in this horribly evil generation in which he lived. Let me make a couple of observations to you from Genesis chapter 5. Many commentators believe that Enoch was converted at the time of the birth of his son Methuselah. Chapter 5 verse 21 says, Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. God can and does use events in our life to turn our thoughts to him and to eternity and to spiritual things. Do you think many people have been sobered by the birth of their first child? I would suggest that it has happened to many of us. How many of you have known, have you known that were sobered and awakened to the seriousness of life when they became a, a parent or, or when some other thing has happened in your life, maybe some tragedy or some illness or some hardship? And those things often turn our attention to God and cause us to think about spiritual things. And so it may well have been the case with Enoch. But how much better it would be for us if we had a heart that would quickly turn to God when something good happens to us, when we are blessed. So often when good things happen, we just smile and go on. And it doesn't cause us to stop and reflect and think about our God. Also note from Genesis chapter 5 that Enoch was not a recluse. He was not a monk separated from real life. He was not separated from the kind of normal life that you and I face every day. The text says that he was a man with other, plural, sons and daughters. He had responsibility. He had demands on his time and his attention. And yet he walked with God. He was a normal, busy family man walking with his God in this world. And remember, he also was a preacher, a prophet, and a minister for God. We should be encouraged by the life of Enoch that it can be done, that it is possible for us to walk with God. Enoch did not have special circumstances except for maybe the fact that his life and his world were primitive and violent and especially hard for walking with God. Note that in verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Here we have something that has happened only twice in the history of the world. A man leaving this world without dying. The other being Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2. In case there is any doubt about what these words mean here in Genesis, our text in Hebrews 11:5 says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. The word in Genesis 5:24 is take. It means to take something that belongs to you from one place to another. And that brings us to our second question. Why? Why was Enoch taken by God without experiencing death? There has to be some reason and purpose in it. Always remember that everything written in Scripture is there for a reason. 
Biblical history is prophecy. It is instructive. There are no random events. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, speaking of the events of the life of Israel, says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. And so it is with Enoch. And so what observations can we make about this unique life? Do you realize that Enoch was about 300 years old when Adam died? It was probable that he was there at at Adam's funeral and burial. Certainly the death of the father of every person alive in all the earth was a great event in the history of the world up to that time, the death of Adam. From Genesis 3, death has entered the world. The promise of a deliverer and of salvation was given there in the garden. But what did it mean? What kind of deliverance, what kind of salvation would it be? Was it to be only that the soul would be saved with the body that is returned to dust be lost forever? Will the dead really live again? Will those who believe in the promised deliverer be saved body and soul? Will those who embrace the promise of God find themselves someday living in a restored world, body and soul, living in communion with God? Those few believers must have had such questions in the middle of such iniquity uh, in the world and such ungodliness in the world and being in a world that is headed for complete destruction. When we read in Genesis 5, we read over and over again, he lived so many years, he had a son, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. And And then comes Enoch, the seventh from Adam, and we read, he was not, for God took him. Here, when the ungodly line of Cain has dominated the human race, God, in this man, Enoch, bears powerful witness that he will save completely those that belong to him and that believe in him. Leupold, in his commentary on this passage, says this, Standing thus halfway between Adam and the flood, This translation of Enoch constitutes a most welcome testimony to the prospect of life eternal, both to the older generation as well as those who were to follow as his younger contemporaries. For a group of believing men such as the Sethites were would not have failed to see the purpose of his being taken away. It was the first definite indication of immortality offered in the Scriptures when God took Enoch. John Owen says this, And this was a divine testimony that the body itself is also capable of eternal life. When all mankind saw that their bodies went into the dust and corruption universally, it was not easy for them to believe that they were capable of any other condition, but that the grave was to be their eternal habitation, according to the divine sentence At the entrance of sin, dust thou art, and into dust thou shalt return. But herein God gave a pledge and assurance that the body itself hath the capacity of eternal blessedness in heaven. 
But whereas this evidence of a capacity in the body to enjoy eternal life and blessedness was confined to some to such as one as had never died, which was the case with Enoch, he could not be as convincing a pledge of the resurrection of our bodies over which death once had a dominion, that is, people who have died, as will be exhibited and reserved for the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Enoch shows that our bodies are able to live with God forever. Christ shows that even if our bodies die, they're able to be raised from the dead and to live with God forever. Might it have been that it was God's dealing with Enoch in this act of taking him out of this world, a living man, that led Job to say in Job 19.26, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been, has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. I suggest to you that following the foundation of Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium, the first preaching of the gospel, that next to that, the next big foundation stone upon which the faith and confidence of God's people rest is the taking up of Enoch, body and soul, into heaven. Dear ones, our God does not just speak to us. He does not just talk to us. He does not just make promises to us our God acts and he acts in sober history and he acts in the life of Enoch and he does something that tells us about what his intentions are and what his power is and what he is going to do to those that belong to him God says that he will deliver us from the warfare that rages between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent and just as human society becomes completely corrupt and ungodly and enters a death spiral that will end in the destruction of every living person except for eight souls in the flood. At that moment, God in grace walks with Enoch, and he takes him. And dear one, if you're a Christian, if you've been made new, if you've been made alive with Christ, and if you've been given the gift of faith, if God has saved you, then this same God has come to you in the sober history of your life. And He's not just talked to you. And He's not just made promises to you. He has acted in your life. I mentioned earlier that Old Testament history is prophecy. There's often a parallel between uh, what plays out in the events and lives there and the spiritual reality that God, realities that God wants us to know and to understand. And so it is with Enoch. His real life, his history parallels our spiritual life. The principle is very simple. If we walk with God in this life, God will take us to be with him forever. That is the principle, the spiritual principle that we see from the life of Enoch. Listen to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ speaking to Martha. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha's response in verse 28, Yes, Lord. 
I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Here is where life starts. And here is where walking with God starts. It starts by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what our text in Hebrews chapter 11 says. It says, By faith Enoch was taken up, having pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Without faith in Christ, you do not please God, and you will not be with Him. Our last observation that I'd like to make is for you who are believers in Christ. If you're a Christian, you are walking with God. Everyone that is brought to faith in Christ by the Holy Spirit is brought to newness of life. And it is certain, if you are a true believer, that you walk with God. I don't need to ask you if you walk with God or if you desire to walk with God, if you want to walk with God. If you're a Christian, you do. And if you're not a Christian, you don't. It's really that simple. But dear ones, let's be honest. We never walk with God like we want to do. We never walk with God as we long to do. We never walk with God as we know we ought to do. Spiritual life in this world is a battle. Just like Enoch walked in hard times, our walk is hard. We're at war and our enemies are hateful and persistent. It can be frustrating And it can be discouraging. What are we to do? Let me tell you a few ways that we can walk with God. Things that will help us walk with God. The first and most obvious is that we must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, do you believe that Christ is able to save your soul, but not able to save your life? Do we think that way? When we don't walk with God, that is exactly what we're saying. He can save my soul, but He cannot save my life. The first thing we need to do is we need to believe. We need to have faith in Christ. We need to look to Him, go to Him, depend on Him. Our text says that by faith, Enoch walked with God. We need to make use of the means of grace. What are they? What are these things, these means that God has given us that we might walk with Him? Well, the first one is the Scriptures. Are you in the Word? Are you bringing constantly the Word of God into your life? Another means of grace is corporate worship. Singing together, if you really engage in it, will help you. Praying together, if you really engage in it, will help you. Receiving instruction, if you really engage in it, will help you. God has provided for the benefit of our walk with Him, the Sunday school hour, the Sunday morning worship service, the evening worship service, the the Wednesday night teaching hour. Are you here to be helped in your walk with God? Another means of grace, an important means of grace, is close fellowship with God's people. 
Do you realize and appreciate the powerful impact that our common life together has on each one of us? Christ's church, other Christian people, other people who are desiring and striving to walk with God is one of Christ's greatest gifts to His people. And I can promise you this. If you are walking with God well, you are also walking with His people. And then there's prayer. Do you ask God to help you walk with Him? Do you draw near to God? But let me warn you. He will answer that prayer by pointing you back to the means of grace. Don't be a hypocrite and ask God to be near you and walk with you while you're not embracing all that He gives you to help you walk with Him. Now, one of the lessons that we all need to learn from Enoch, whether we're young or whether we're old, is this. You cannot be the close friend of God and walk step by step with Him and be a friend of the world. God and this world are in conflict with each other. There is a fundamental conflict between the city of man and the city of God, between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, between these two seeds, between these two cultures, between these two worldviews. And dear ones, if we are going to walk with God by necessity, we will walk against the course of this world. Don't we too often think about how we can accommodate ourselves to this world, how we can avoid conflict with this world, how we can get along with this world. A person who walks with God will speak the truth and will be just and will be equitable and will have integrity and will have humility. And if you live this way, you will have conflict with the world around you. Enoch lived this way, and he lived this way by faith. And this is what we are called to do. Ephesians 5, 8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. If you're not a Christian, you're not walking with God now. And please don't be naive and don't be foolish. If you're not walking with God now, you will not. You will not walk with God and be with Him in the world to come. I plead with you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk with God now, and He will take you so that you can enjoy Him forever. May God help us to understand and to believe and to walk with our God as Enoch does by example to us. Let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the life of this man, Enoch. We thank you that he shows us that even in the vilest of times, even when the enemies of our Lord Jesus Christ have taken over the whole world, that it's possible for your people to walk with God. I pray, Lord, that you would energize us, help us, quicken us by your Spirit to be close to you, to be near to you, and to walk with you all the days of our life. We ask these things. In Christ's name, amen.